0: recorded live from a place where someone's eternal soul is not damned because they bought the wrong sneakers this is transformation thursday i'm penny sterling and my pronouns are she her my co-host amy stevens is off this week recovering from her successful gender confirmation surgery congratulations amy and we'll see you back here in a couple of weeks Ever find yourself in a social media circle with someone you've never met, they follow someone you follow and you find yourself commenting on the same tweets and sometimes coming to each other's defense, and then you follow each other, and even though you've never been in the same time zone, you consider them friends? I have one of those people as my guest tonight. Matt Nightingale is an educator, musician, speaker, writer, and spiritual director living and working in North San Francisco Bay Area. He teaches at the uh, Sonoma County Day School in Santa Rosa and is co-pastor of the Quest Novato. He is also a spiritual director and support group facilitator with the Christian Closet, which offers a web-based counseling, coaching, and spiritual direction for LGBTQ Christians. And if it sounds like I'm reading this off a bio, it's because I am. Tonight, we're going to start out talking about what it's like to be too queer for the Christians and too Christian for the queers, but I guarantee we're going to ramble all over the damn place. So Matt Nightingale, welcome. Thank you for being here and thank you for finally, I'm just so excited that we got a chance to actually be face-to-face even if it is through uh, through the uh, the Zoom.
1: Me too, this is so fun. And I've been looking forward to this for literally months and it was just delightful to see your face on the screen. And we both have our bourbons and we're good yes, we to do. go. We've I'm doing singing. a straight bourbon. Oh, yeah,
0: we're gonna sing. We're gonna dance. Oh, we're, we're gonna, doing it all. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna save the old Magruder place.
1: <laughs> oh so, my god! So
0: first off, let's. I, we're gonna we're gonna toast each other right now. Let's this do is it, Here's to each other. Clink, clink, and we're gonna have a little sip.
1: Mm. that is good. That's good stuff.
0: It really, really, is. and this is good stuff. So, was how how close was I? I hope that was pretty accurate because that's what's on your uh, that's what's on your website.
1: I was, I was actually super impressed that you were so prepared. I was like, wow, she's totally like reading. <laughs> she knows everything about me. I know
0: everything. about. Well, I don't know everything about you. I know that you are, I know you are a pastor. I know that you are from, you were raised in the evangelical faith.
1: Indeed. I was,
0: you were married. You have four children. Yep. And, um, they are grown and out of the house. So we have a lot of things in common that way. Uh, what I don't have that you do uh that i think is kind of interesting is that my faith uh such as it is really um didn't start until i was uh, was an adult and um was a big part in my being able to admit to the world that i am transgender Hmm. and um from what i can 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 suss from your life journey it's kind of the opposite that you were raised in like the evangelical tradition uh where uh it seems like a pretty damn successful pastor married uh had a ministry going with that and then kind of like when you came out that really shifted radically for you am i am i wrong in my assumptions no, about that's, this
1: that that's all true i i was raised in northern indiana back in the 70s and 80s uh in a very fundamentalist uh, evangelical space. And, you know, I tell people that like, in my world, there just was not even language for the idea of being like a faithful Christian slash gay person. (laughs) Like it just didn't exist. I did not have one like positive role model of a queer person in my life. Um, And so even when I knew that I was gay at 10 years old, I knew enough to just like bury that shit, you know, like bury it and don't let anybody know, uh, because there, yeah, there just was no room for that in my little world.
0: Yeah, mine too. Um, I was, you know, I was transgender before transgender was even a word is, Mm. is really the way I put that. I know for me, it was eight years old when I discovered uh, the, but there were like so many, I don't know about you, but there were so many things that were like obvious clues that had I been paying attention or even new to pay attention. Like uh, for example, whenever I would go next door to play with the Schwartz kids, because Mike Schwartz was like my age and there were like, there were like seven or eight Schwartz kids. And then there was Barb Schwartz who was um, a year older or younger than me. And then there was another girl, Schwartz, that was a year younger. So there were three that were in my, my range. And every time I would go over there, I would always, if I could, swipe a Barbie. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't to play with that. I would take them back to the house and then I would undress the Barbie and toss it back over to the Schwartz's yard and then try to get the Barbie dress on my GI Joe. <laughs> that should uh, have been a clue. If maybe. You think. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe, I mean,
1: I sometimes say that, you know, my parents probably should have had a clue when I was 12 years old, riding my bicycle to the public library to get Barbra Streisand records, you know? I just, and then I would be like in my bedroom with my hairbrush in the mirror singing people, people who need people, and they, <laughs> they didn't know? Come on, <laughs> come on.
0: Well, there's the, I think there's, the, 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 you don't know, and then there's also, you don't know. where yeah i'm not even going to bring this up because i don't know you know it's like it's like i'm not going to ask the question because i don't want to hear the answer
1: right it's like what plausible deniability or something like yeah you never told me yeah Yeah.
0: well for me i didn't have any i really didn't have any words for it i I there was there was no um, there was no phrasing there was no terminology yeah. for for what i was going through this was also a good decade earlier than you this was in the mid-1960s um
1: okay.
0: and uh, uh mental i don't know about for in where you were but uh mental health was actually a threat <laughs> in yeah. my 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 like if you my mom would say things like if you don't straighten up and fly right i'm gonna get your head shrunk mm. Which is what they used to call shy- psychiatrists' head shrinkers,
1: right.
0: um, and I did not know it was a metaphor. Hmm. I really did not know what that meant, and I was terrified of it.
1: <laughs> it's kind of scary sounding.
0: Yeah, and I think that's probably uh, that was probably wise because as I've looked back at uh, I'm at like the, the the mental health practices of the '60s. Um, It turns out that what we were was considered to be a disease, a a disease of the mind, Mm. and I think that the the best practices at for psychoanalysts of the time would have been to try and cure us of this in some way, Mm -hmm. shape, or form. Yeah, as opposed to actually trying to help us be the best human beings that we could be.
1: Yeah, sometimes I'm kind of amazed and grateful for this time in history because we do have some helpful language. We do know so much more than we have in the past. And I think a lot of it has to do with the internet. Like we have accessibility that we never dreamed of when you and I were kids. Yeah. Um, You know, I I think about like, I don't know, some conservative types were freaking out the other day on Twitter because they were talking about the study that came out that showed kind of the the number of I, I can't remember exactly but like gen gen whatever the new generation is the young ones yeah, the millennials right. it was like a certain percentage of them identified as something other than straight and the right. conservatives were freaking out about this like oh, oh can you believe this this huge number and To me, what I think is actually happening is there's no more trans people than there ever were before. There's no more gay people than there were before. It's just that we are so much more aware and it's such a more safe environment for people to come out into that that the real, I mean, the real numbers are finally being revealed. We've always been here. We've always been here in these numbers, but we're finally able to step out into the light, to have language, to talk about our our experiences and, and to not be immediately shut down because of it. You know yeah
0: absolutely that is exactly and actually this is um i am involved in a, a theater project here in in rochester and there was a really great article about the entire project i'm like one of 25 people uh working on this project hmm. and but there were two um there were two paragraphs devoted to to my part of it and, um, like three or four sentences. And the first two sentences were so problematic from a transgender standpoint that it just it was, you know, gobsmacked. There's a way. How about mm. that is. Is there a Manhattan transfer song with the word gobsmacked in it?
1: Not that I can remember, but, give me time and I'll, I'll see what I can come up with.
0: Okay. Just before we started here, I was, we were like playing words, <laughs> our favorite words. And like, I, I would say a word and Matt was like, Oh yeah, there's a Manhattan transfer song with that word in it. <laughs> so um, anyhow. So, but, but it was like, it, luckily I saw just as it was released online and I, and I'm kind of friends with the author and I'm like, you gotta mm. change this. Mm. And, um, and, and I was like, is there no style for lack of a better word style guide ap Mm -hmm. guide for transgender writing about trans folk in in your newsroom he's like no so i'm okay so uh because i have nothing better to do i'm now i'm now writing one for 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 him and a couple of other friends of mine who are in newsrooms because i I used to used to work in news Mm. um and one of the things that i've been doing with this is uh as i as, as you're like in, the, in this guide for how to write about trans people is, as you're, I've said, as you're proofing it, uh, in your mind, sw- take the word transgender out and put the word left-handed in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if it doesn't make sense, then it's probably not going to make sense from a transgender standpoint. And the reason I used that was very specific because in 1860, uh, according to the census, there were only 2% of the population that was left-handed. And in the year 2000, it was 12%. Hmm. And then it was not that there's been a sixfold increase of left-handed people there. And there's nobody out there, no sinister cabal, pun intended, because you know, sinister and Dexter, uh, sinister being on the left, Dexter on the right. I'm a word girl. I don't think you know that about me or not, Matt, but that's what it's me. And I also do these really run on sentences that eventually get back to the point. Uh, there's no, there's been nobody like left-handing right-handed people. It's just right. that left-handed people more and more are able to be themselves mm, safely. Yep, yep. And there's nobody going, Oh, you can't do not nobody. Actually 30, uh, less than 30 years ago, I was, a, I was at a party, um, with a bunch of people that I didn't know. And I ended up in the kitchen uh, and there was a guy there with his daughter who was like in a high chair and uh, he was feeding her Cheerios and I was watching them. And the little girl was picking them up with her right hand. And I said, oh, so she's right-handed. And he, and the guy said, this is a guy who was like probably 10 years younger than me goes good thing too. Otherwise I would have had to hit her.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: I know. Right. It's like, no, le- and it's like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, no, no kid of mine is going to be left handed. Well,
1: uh, yeah, yeah, it's speechless, right?
0: Absolutely speechless. What, how, and if, if that's the way he is about which hand they're using, <laughs> you know, yeah. what if that, what if that child is gay or transgender? How is right. that going to, how is it going to So it's not everybody. You're right. There is a big shift. There's a fundamental shift that you can see people are pushing back on that and you see that a lot in christianity Mm -hmm. you see that a lot in churches and you see it a lot with people who say that they are followers of jesus Mm -hmm. um and i i look at that and i'm and i'm going how do you rectify that and and how do you accept how how can you how can you find peace and and belief in, in 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 something that is the the, in your definition, so hateful.
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
0: And you had to face that. I mean, when you transitioned, yeah, when you, when you had uh, transitioned, that transition, that's that, but when you came out, yeah, what was the reaction in the church that you were in?
1: It was hard. I, you know, I, I'm a very relational person. So, so thankfully I had come out to a lot of people ahead of my public coming out and I had a good like a really good support system. So I had a lot of friends, you know, I I don't know if you know this part of my story, but I came out for the first time in 2001 uh, or 2002 to my wife, to local church leadership, because I was convinced back then that this was a sinful and broken thing. And that if I could just confess it and get the right help, then I could be healed. And so I spent several years in the early 2000s Doing ex-gay reparative therapy work, couples counseling, you know, uh, sex addicts anonymous because they thought I was a sex addict. You know, all of these things, um, and so even from those days, as I had evolved over the years, even my wife had evolved in her theological understanding and her understanding of human sexuality, and so we we both were kind of slowly letting more and more people into that circle. So I'm grateful that I had that support, but it still was difficult. I had been uh, a music minister full-time in large evangelical covenant churches that was my denomination and um and 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 to some of those folks I was like the poster child because they knew the story and they thought I you know was apparently healed here I still was all these years later still married to this woman still towing the party line you know so when I came out in 2016 uh it was painful I had to leave my church job for sure um, I had to resign my credentials in the denomination. Uh, it launched me into some real financial insecurity because I don't know, but, you know, for me as a pastor, a 20 plus year pastor, I didn't have a lot on my resume. It was so frustrating mm-hmm. because I can do all kinds of things, but employers don't know that, you know? And so I couldn't even get a job at Starbucks for those first several months. I was waiting tables at a, at, at, for a catering company for weddings, I was um, doing day rate substitute teaching in a local public school. I would, I mean, just all these crazy jobs trying to just pay my bills Uh, and it was was super hard. And then to have, you know, I I did, my coming out was very public by design. You know, I'm a very public person and and my wife and I wanted this to be an education for people. We wanted it to, to somehow be used for good if possible. So, you know, we put it out there, we put it out on Facebook, we put it out in a big uh, email letter that went to a 1000 members of our church, you know, it was a it was a big deal, right? We Yeah, we ended up doing a TED Talk. That was that was an amazing thing. Like five months later, we're up on the stage of TED Talk Sonoma County doing a TED Talk, which has now been seen by 35,000 people or something, which is kind of mind blowing to me, you know, the whole the whole thing. But yeah, it was hard. And I, I have had to you know, I think the hardest thing for me is, is my family, my mom and dad, you know, dear close people who are still to this day, conservative Christians who cannot understand, who, who cannot accept and who, who believe that this is still something, you know, that, that I'm choosing to live a life in opposition to what God says in the scriptures. Right. And so they don't know how to handle that. They try to love me, but their love does not include accepting my, my quote unquote decisions to be gay. You know what I mean? And that includes your parents. Yeah, yeah, and I, it's hard. Like, I don't like to speak publicly uh, against them necessarily. They're they're good people who are doing the best they can given their understanding of reality, but I think their understanding of reality is wrong, and and I think it's tragic and sad. You know, and you know, and I, I talk to them. You know, every month we we're in touch. We we're doing our best to try to be in a happy relationship, but it's difficult. It's really hard.
0: Do you have any brothers and sisters?
1: Yeah, one of each, and and they've been they've been great. You know, I I can't really speak to their theological perspectives, but they've been they've been loving and and have tried to be understanding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So there's there is a fa- a familial awkwardness that goes, or, or do you not want to talk about this?
1: Well, I'll say that. I mean, I think that's just common knowledge that it is awkward and difficult. Yeah, my family of origin continues to be a a, a challenging thing. You know. Yeah,
0: that's one thing that I have really lucked out on, or I don't know, if lucked out on, or uh, if I just did enough groundwork. But I have had um, almost no um, no issues with mm. with my. Well, on the other hand, I don't have much family. Um, oh. My dad died in nineteen seventy seven,
1: so mm. um,
0: I, I actually do this. I do this really. Uh, I do this story called 1977, which is about my father's death. And,
1: Mm. you know,
0: and I talk about the fact that, you know, um, I, I still talk to him even though he can't talk to me because his grave is right along in the, in, in the Southern tier of, of, of New York. Uh, I, I drive past the cemetery where he's buried um, a lot and I Mm -hmm. stop by a lot and, you know, I, I, you know, he was cremated and buried. My, that's how my mom did things. I guess she wanted to make sure he was dead. Um, <laughs> no, they loved each other deeply. And it was, a, yeah. it, was the, it was the loss of my mom's life. But that's what it was. So um, I would, you know, and I told him about the kids. And, you know, he would have loved my kids because he yeah. loved my sense of humor. And then I said, I told him about me and that he took it pretty well, all things considered. Of course, when you're cremated, it's really hard to roll over in your grave. <laughs> Which, I, I, but I don't know if he would have, uh, I, I don't think he would have been as accepting as my mom seemed to be, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things who, that was not a, that, that was not a relationship that I needed to, or I had any, any dealings with. Mm. Um, my brother lives on the other side of the state from me, and after we grew up and uh, moved to different towns we talked to each other on the phone occasionally but my kids my family that's my real family is my kids yeah. and they all really accepted me and and mm-hmm. and and treat me for who I am and yeah. uh and all of my friends are the same way and mm-hmm. so I'm really really fortunate that but I hear stories like yours and it just breaks my heart
1: mm-hmm. I've been very I have to say I'm so fortunate that my children have been incredibly supportive. I mean, I have a very close relationship with all four of them. Two of them are married and so their spouses are part of the family and and are, you know, incredibly supportive. I you know, and and the story that my former wife and I can continue to be in a respectful, friendly relationship is is astonishing. I know a lot of people in my situation who don't have that that relationship with their former spouse, you know. So I'm really thankful for that. It's not been easy by any stretch, you know, Right. this was incredibly painful for her. She did not want a divorce. And I always am clear about that. Uh, she would have stayed forever and made it work. Uh, really? So, yeah. So that was, that was my choice to to leave the marriage. And because I had made that choice, she decided to be as supportive as she could for her own health, for her children, for the world around her, you know what I mean? She she made the conscious decision, which I'm so, I mean, grateful for, but also I respect so deeply because I remember sitting across from, we would occasionally, shortly after this happened, we'd go out for a drink or or dinner or something, just to process and talk about the kids and whatever. And I remember one time saying, how can you be so, I don't know, how how can you have such a good attitude about this? Because you didn't want this. This is not what the life you envisioned, you know? And she said, well, it's not for you. That's for damn sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do it because I don't want to be a bitter, angry woman. I don't want to be characterized by that, you know? And I just thought that was such an interesting perspective, you know, mm-hmm. to, to say like, I have a choice in the way that I'm going to respond to this. I don't have to like it. I don't have to be happy all the time, but I'm not going to make this like yeah. the 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 jilted woman. I'm not going to make that my my character, my personality, you know, right. I'm not gonna be defined by that. And I, I think that's pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah, forgiveness is not for the other person,
1: mm-hmm. you know, that's,
0: that's always been my, my viewpoint is that forgiveness right. is like to, to, to keep your side of the street clean. And, you know, it, I, my divorce happened uh, oof, probably 10 years before, um, before I, I, I transitioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, and had very little to do with i mean i did i i was like i my mother caught me in a dress when i in her dress when i was 12 years old and that was it for me until i started transitioning in 2014 so it was like 45 years Mm -hmm. um but uh it was interesting i we, I, 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 my wife and I, my ex-wife and I, you know, I've, I've, I've said many times that we made better exes mm. than we did, than we did a couple Yeah, and uh, we made better girlfriends than mm. we did exes. She mm-hmm. was, she is staunchly, uh, fiercely defensive of me and, and wow. very much an advocate for me that's great Um, yeah and I you know we have I have issues uh with her um that I don't want to get into but uh, this is not one of them Mm -hmm. and I I was I was very glad about and I I told her before I told my kids I was transgender just because I didn't want her to be ambushed with a like ma what's going on with dad sort of conversation right um and she was and she said well when I when I told her I was transgender she said well it's about time
1: Hmm.
0: And I was like, she knew that I was hiding something. She didn't wow. know what I was hiding, yeah. but she knew I was hiding something.
1: Um, was, I, go ahead. Was was your experience that when you would come out t- to people who are close to you, that they often seemed to already know? Maybe not specifics, but did did that experience happen for you? Because that happened for me sometimes. People would be like, oh, "You know, I'm not surprised." Not that they knew, but when I told them, they'd be like you know, that makes sense. Things, things make sense now. And I'm not surprised by that.
0: Let me put it this way, Matt. I do not know a single damn Manhattan transfer song. So
1: <laughs> no, actually small day tomorrow, which really isn't
0: a, which isn't a, it isn't a Manhattan transfer. I think song, that's I think. Siegel. Yeah. Yeah. We have been, yeah. I love that song. Mm, me too. It's, it's one of, do you know the words to it?
1: Oh my gosh. I think it, I'd no, love, I think I'd it's on her it, at home album. Like yes, I used is. to listen to that when I was when I was in high school. I remember.
0: Oh uh, no! Thank you for making me feel old because oh, I, sorry. Was, I was <laughs> I was listening to that while I was like you know feeding my my youngest mm-hmm. kids. Um, but yeah, no.
1: <laughs> I think that was Janice Siegel, who's a member of the. Founding member of the Manhattan, Manhattan Transfer. Street. That was her first solo album, and it yes, was just amazing. And Small, day tomorrow. Coffee, Small yes. day tomorrow. Small day tomorrow. If yes. I had rhythm in my nursery rhymes,
0: <laughs> exactly. That was yeah. such a
1: great album. I know. So I know maybe well. that.
0: Was, other than that, I mean, I, you know, I was like Little Feet and Steely Dan. You know, I was mm. like, that was and, and Paul Simon. So I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't really know. the The short answer is no. Nobody, yeah. uh, because I. I tamp that shit down mm-hmm. very, very much, and, and because of that, I was um, my path was that I was, and I, and I do it. One of my TED talks, I've, I've got two. TED, you got yeah. one? <laughs> Actually, it was you and your wife. So you have one half of I have
1: TED a half talk. of a TED talk. Yeah.
0: I've got two TED talks already. So I just want right, to share fair. that with that's you. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but my two TED talks combined don't even have like a, a, a third of the, <laughs> of the of the of the views that yours has. But anyhow, um, my first one I talked about being abusive because I was, mm. and then that was part of what I did is to, to hide who I was. Is I that's that's why I called my first show "Spy in the House of Men" mm. because I basically did that. I I I, I tamped down who I was. And I had to be somebody. So I watched guys. I hung around guys. I got into sports mm-hmm. um, and I watched like who were the, the least feminine guys. And those were the assholes, the abusive <laughs> assholes. And so I became an abusive asshole. Wow. Um, and talk about self-loathing, yeah. you know? And, and so my, my entire world fell apart in around the, the turn of the millennium i love saying that by the way no one very few people get to say turn of the millennium we get to say it
1: we do Um,
0: yeah it's like yeah like it's us and the the people in like you know who lived in 999 is like you know what what was the what was the y1k virus you know dysentery (laughs) i don't know but um i'm sorry i'm I'm rambling it's my fucking show i get to ramble
1: i'm Um, here for it it's great
0: (laughs) and amy's not so you know she can't she can't ring me in sorry Um, amy she's like i know she's saying like oh my god I gotta get back um <laughs> no, what were we talking about um, uh yeah yeah who I was I, yeah. I, I I went I was like I was abusive I was and mostly it was it was it was vocal and it was just like I was I was loud I would outshout mm-hmm. I was but I was bigger and stronger mm. and so I would and that was what my first TED talk was It's like I that's who I was I was very wow. much of an abuser Wow. Um, and not as much physical as I was verbal, but I said, that's not a defense because you could actually, you know, at least I'm not hitting them. You know, I may be yelling at them, but at least I'm not hitting them, which is bullshit. It's abuse is abuse is abuse. Right. And so uh, when my world fell apart, I looked at it as an opportunity. Once I realized that I wasn't, uh, that I, that I wanted to get better. Um, because I had that option of just like staying a victim um, I realized that I was trying I wanted to get better I, I wanted and so for like the first um, decade or so 15 years of the millennia it was me trying to be the most uh, non-toxic heterosexual man I could be mm. wow. and as I peeled away layer after layer of not who I was I got to this point where it was okay uh, I got to get rid of more than just the toxic and toxic masculinity. Mm. Um, so no, nobody, no, that's really long way of saying no, uh, no one, no one really saw this coming.
1: Yeah. No, that's fascinating though. I'm so glad you shared all that. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I had some, I suppose, Tells you know I I, you know I love musical theater I do love my divas Barbara Streisand and Patti Lupone and Bernadette Peters
0: oh my God Uh, yes
1: but like I could somehow pass it off I also was married to a woman and had four children and so you know that was somewhat of a cover and also Mm -hmm. I was a music minister I was I was an artist Mm -hmm. and so people could take any effeminacy that they might have. Uh, noticed in me and kind of pass it off as well you know he's an artist he's a musician he's an artsy type and I I could you know and I ran with that of course so but it was it was hard to kind of have this life-defining secret that I had to keep away from the whole world and it's so crazy now that I'm thinking about it back in the early 2000s when I was really intently trying to quote-unquote be healed right it's so funny. I, I look back at some of the things that they told me and I have to just roll my eyes now, are you kidding me? And one of them was like, I literally cut myself off from like that kind of media. And here I was this Broadway, you know, Manhattan transfer jazz music, vocal music, divas. And, and I just stopped listening to it. I literally just like put it away, got rid of the albums, shut it off. And because, I don't know, they they, they seem to believe and they taught us that the more things you let in like that, it was just weakness. It, it was like, it, it continued to kind of chip away at the quote unquote truth about what, what is true about reality and sexuality and masculinity and blah, blah, blah. I mean, they told me like I should practice fixing cars. I should throw a football now and then. And so I tried, I really did. You know, like surround yourself with healthy masculinity and that will, because, you know, th- they have this idea, this theory, this pseudo-scientific bullshit that that says that what I'm trying to do is, is to like get masculine affection and attention that is healthy and good, that we all need, but because I wasn't getting it in a healthy way, like somewhere my brain had sexualized it, you know? And Mm. so their theory was that if I could get healthy masculinity in a non-sexual way, whether through, you know, a a good friend who would put his arm around me as we walked or through, you know, throwing a football or fixing a car, that somehow over time that would like take away the need for masculinity in my life. And and I don't know. I mean, looking back on it, it's just kind of, ridiculous, but at the time it kind of made sense, you know, but that was something that I mourned. I wanted to listen to Les Mis. I wanted to hear my Stephen Sondheim albums, you know, and so there came a point even before I myself became affirming of queer identities and relationships. Where I said, you know what, this is ridiculous. I am cutting myself off from truth and beauty that I miss deeply. And I'm just gonna do it. I don't care. I just just because that was another, that was one of the steps toward finally coming out was saying, you know what? I'm not gonna do that anymore. I love this and I'm just gonna allow myself to love it. And so I remember like listening to rent for the first time after I made that decision and just feeling, ah, I'm I'm home again, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: yes I do know mm. I absolutely know that that feeling of that 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 joy of mm. being authentic yeah and, I, I, and and I also can can imagine the joy of of actually um, allowing yourself to to love who you love
1: uh, yeah if, I, I I mean it was I, I was one of those people and I, I don't demonize anybody for decisions that they've made because I know a lot of people in my situation who who do have, you know, sexual experiences outside of their marriage. And that's one of the things that kind of unlocks the, the prison door. You know, I really didn't have that. I, I was super faithful, at least physically and, and tried to be emotionally to my wife for many years, decades. Um, and so it was, it was kind of like, it was interesting. Cause when I came out, it was kind of theoretical, right? I, I, I made this huge life-defining decision Huh, hoping that this was true about me. You know what I mean? And I, I have this funny story of like my first kiss with a man. Oh my gosh. And it was not the most like savory of situations. I was in a gay bar in Gurnville, about 20 miles uh, west of here with a friend. It, I had drunk like way too many Long Island iced teas. And I literally, I can't remember how it started, but all of a sudden I was, full-on making out with this guy in a bar. (laughs) And it was like the heavens opened. I was like, this is what people write songs about. This is what (laughs) people write books about this and movies. And uh, I I just couldn't believe the feeling that I was experiencing. I I mean, that sounds kind of silly, but there I was 44 years old, making out with a stranger in a gay bar in Guerneville, but having this epiphany of like, oh my gosh that's what this is supposed to feel like like that yeah. is what people are experiencing at 14 15 16 years old and their lives are transformed you know like that's right. what I've been missing and it exactly. was really it was really enlightening right
0: yeah for me I' I'll, very much of uh, a similar thing uh, although I, I I was not out out I was in the transition phase mm-hmm. and I had um, contact i I did this thing called a gno which is called a girls night out uh where a bunch of uh trans like older usually trans Mm -hmm. women or cross-dressers people men who like to wear dresses there's a wide variety of of us would meet at this gay bar uh once a month and uh, about three months into this i was like okay this is not enough and so one of my friends that I met there, I was like, let's go out on a non-GNO night, just the two of us, and we'll hang out at a bar. Uh, and it was, for me, it was every, it was alternating weekends because my, um, I, my kids were still at home. I still had, I had full custody of my kids and every other weekend they would spend with their mom. So I was okay. like, okay, two weeks there with their mom. I get dolled up anyway, when they're <laughs> not here because that's what I started doing. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to go out, which was something that I'd at that point, this was, this was in November. Uh, the first time I went out as myself or as, as a woman mm-hmm. alone was on Halloween because Halloween is transgender get out of jail free day. Wow. Um, yeah. And so it was like, I, I, I got to do more of this. And this okay. is actually my life is uh, and, and I knew that if I ever let a, even a little bit of femininity into my life, there was never going to stop until I was fully the actual person that I was that I was supposed to be. Wow. But I, I went out and like, we had planned on meeting at this one bar and I, I was working in sports. So of course I had to work during the day on Saturday. But I got home and I changed and I got into my car and I luckily was and I, and I drove to the bar and I got out my phone to see if she was there yet. And she had said she couldn't make it.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm not going. And I was like, I'm not going to go back home. I'm, I, I'm here. So I got out and I walked in. And I sat down in the darkest, farthest corner and I was like, I was like you, I was like, oh my God, I'm a woman in public. And that feeling of being the person I was supposed to be. And this guy came up behind me and asked if I was waiting for someone and, you know, and I was like, okay, well, I was supposed to meet someone here, but they're not going to make it. And he said, it's terrible, it's terrible to be set up for, to be stood up for a date. And I'm like, he thought I was supposed to be on a date. You know, and then he bought me a drink oh and gosh. he bought me another. And um, I, 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 I'm drinking a straight bourbon now, but I was like, I told myself that, okay, as a woman, I'm not a, like, I, I like a, I like, I like coffee flavored coffee, whiskey flavored whiskey, beer flavored beer. But <laughs> as a woman, I should have something else. And I couldn't think of a single thing, a single beverage, a, a mixed drink, not even the one that was in the, you know, the, 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 you know, funnel shaped glass. What's the, what was the, what was the drink of the funnel shaped glass? I can't say I, I'll have the drink in a funnel shaped glass. <laughs> and I was like, that doesn't sound very cosmopolitan. And I was like, <laughs> I have a cosmopolitan. And so I was like, yeah, I'm having a cosmopolitan. And he bought me a cosmopolitan. And I took a sip and I'm like, I am not a cosmopolitan drinker. <laughs> not a cosmopolitan girl. In- I am not a Cosmo girl. I did not know that until I sipped it, but I wasn't going to tell him that. No. And so we started chatting and, 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 and like a second one appeared. I didn't even see the bartender. And then I was like, as much because I didn't want a third one of those things to show up in front of me, I said, I got to go because I have to go to work on Sunday morning. Because I had, I did, I had to work mm-hmm. on Sunday and, and he walked me to my car and I I, I, and I I was like, I was, I was floating. He was taller than me. Uh, which is a real, I'm six foot, I'm, I'm built like a linebacker. So wow. uh, he was taller than me. He, and, you know, uh, and, and, I, and we got to my car and I turned around and I was going to say, and I said, fat. <laughs> I was going to say, thank you for a nice evening. But all I got was fat before his tongue was in my throat. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and then, and then like, you know, he basically, he, he then took my hand and he put it on his crotch.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: And my, my thought was, he has a flashlight. You know,
1: <laughs> why does he have a, I mean, that's, that was like, I had, they, I had like this series of, why does no he penny, have a No, Penny, he's just happy to see you.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. And I was, and like, and I was thrilled. But then, uh-huh. like, I, I realized later that one of the, the, the and then this is in one of the stories that I, one of my shows,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is it was like why 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 did that feel familiar and then i realized he did exactly to me the move mm. that i would do wow to when i was when i was hiding and i did that because that was what i was told to do as a as as a man as, as a guy this is what guys do this yeah yeah you, you put your you you take their arm mm. uh it seems a but like they can't get away from you that way and you you lean on the door so they have to get through you to get to get past you, and you don't wait; you just dive in. And I did not do the tongue. I mean, oh my god, it was like he was—he was like drilling for oil. I was like, guys, <laughs> I don't know about, about yoga, but that's like, there's, oh, if, if somebody kisses me like that, that's it. That's there, like because if you start out with a tongue, where do you go from there? Right, there's
1: nowhere to go. Huh? Well, the
0: hand on the crotch apparently is where you go. I guess go. so.
1: But it's, yeah, it's funny. Like I was—I was so with you in that story. I was like, I was it was like enchanting and delightful. And, and I was so happy for you. And then all of a sudden he's like it's the turn. Yeah, yeah. That turn really was kind of startling. And I, and that, at that point I was like, Oh shoot, I don't think I'm supposed to be happy for her right now.
0: Well, I was, I mean, and part of me still is, I mean, um, it, it was, and also it turns out that he was married.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. And
0: you know, I have not been the, I have not been a woman long enough to be the other woman. Um, <laughs> And so that was not, that was also not cool. And these are things that I'm learning and I'm learning, mm. I'm, I'm learning as I'm like, as I'm being approached by, by men, it's less and less. There's not a lot of people for older trans women to be involved mm. with, but that's one of the questions that I that are you married?
1: And, yeah.
0: uh, and, and I'm, I'm even like making allowances, like if you're, if your wife knows and is enthusiastically consent can, consenting to this okay yeah. well, let's talk but right i'm not going to i have a certain set of morale, and that's not going right. to happen
1: yeah i get it you don't want to be someone's secret
0: no right? i don't I've, I've i've been a secret for far too long i don't want to yeah. be anybody's secret so so let's get back to what i wanted to talk about in the first was there ever a point in your life where as you did this that you thought about leaving the church
1: hmm you know, not really. I, 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 I've, I mean, it's a, it's a long story, but I, I've come to this place of really understanding that my Christianity is as central to my identity as my, my gay sexual orientation. Um, they're both immutable. They're both almost like unchosen. They chose me. Um, and I actually feel most myself when I am both of those things fully and authentically I I won't like I wouldn't say that I ever really thought about leaving the faith um fortunately for me I I had enough examples by the time I finally came out of like faithful queer spirituality uh Christian and otherwise that that I I looked to that as a model and I had this intention of continuing to hold on to my faith. One of my dear friends, and she was a real role model to me as I was coming out, a real mentor. Her name's Annie Steinberg-Bearman, and she is the senior pastor of the MCC Church in San Francisco. MCC is Metropolitan Community Churches, and they were founded in the late 1960s as an expressly queer Christian denomination. And so She was the senior pastor of the San Francisco church. And she actually pretty quickly offered me a part-time job as their music director. So I thank God was like plunged into this historic gay church from really the earliest months of my coming out. And, and that actually was really beautiful. Like I, I, I learned in that space, even though I kind of intellectually knew it, but I learned it experientially that, that one can be, both Christian and gay, and there's not a conflict there. And and I won't say that I, I ever wanted to walk away. There were definitely times, because I, I also joined the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, I started trying to date people, and I quickly found, as maybe you have too, that in the LGBTQ circles that I was running in, it it wasn't particularly fashionable to be a Christian, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and certainly like on dating apps and stuff, people would find out that I was a, a Christian and not only just like a Christian, but like a Christian Christian. <laughs> like I actually <laughs> was practicing my faith, you know, like a
0: Christian. I'm a
1: Christian. And and that was hard. And and I, yeah, I mean, like dating was difficult. I I had a hard time finding anyone who who would like, they might like to have a good time with me and that's all well and good, but they certainly were not interested in like actually pursuing a a relationship relationship, with someone who's a Christian and not only a Christian, but in ministry. Like that's a huge part of my identity. Uh, And then, you know, somewhere along the way, I started uh, being the worship leader at the church where I now co-pastor. And so that was just really strange and people would be like, no, wait, what do you (laughs) do? You know, like for me to say I was a teacher because I'm an elementary teacher full-time, that's fine. They they dig that, you know, cute pictures of me and kids. They're like, yeah, that's awesome. Aren't you special and cute? But but the minute I said, yeah, I can't do anything Sunday morning because I'm leading worship at my church, you know, <laughs> they're like, oh, how nice to have met you. Bye bye, <laughs> you know. So yeah, yes, just what you said at the beginning of the show, like too right. too gay for the Christians right. and way too Christian for the gays. It it was right. hard to to find my way.
0: And I, I think a lot of that is. Um, it, it is not from the gay side. Hmm. It is definitely from. Uh, I, I I I I hear a lot of stories of of ex evangelicals, for mm-hmm. lack of a which is a term that I uh, Chrissy Stroop. I don't know if you're familiar with her.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, you know coins um, where the reaction to, that they got to. Uh, being their authentic self was almost violent
1: oh so and, ugly
0: yeah and ugly definitely ugly that. Yep. uh and it's like why why do i why do i want to be a part of a group that that and and i do too i don't call myself a, i for a number of reasons i do not call myself a christian and mm-hmm. uh for one part one reason is because the, the people that do call themselves christian i don't see a lot of Christ in what they're doing.
1: Yeah. I I fully agree with you. And, you know, I, not to, I mean, it's so obvious, right? But I, I feel like saying it, like, especially the last four years, I mean, to think about how it was Christian evangelicals who championed that monster, Donald Trump. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they championed him and they found ways to excuse his extraordinarily ugly, harmful, abusive behaviors and policies and all of that, they found ways to somehow baptize that, you know, and somehow make it like the Lord's will that Donald Trump be president. And I feel like, I mean, there was a lot of strikes against evangelical Christianity before Donald Trump, but I kind of feel like that was the death knell in some ways. Like, like if there had been any hope of redeeming evangelical Christianity, it, it was lost in 2016. You know, I, and, and, and then continuing on through 2020 and the election and all that, my gosh, yeah. it, it's hard to, <laughs> yeah, I, I get not wanting to call yourself a Christian. Believe me. I get it.
0: How, what does non-evangelical Christianity look like to you? How would you describe that?
1: Man, it's, you know, it's interesting. And I, I hesitate to, to speak on behalf of, of, groups of people but i but I, no, i'm No, i just asking how
0: it looks like to you what yeah okay what would, okay. It, what would in, in in a perfect world if you could uh shape the christianity in a way that you yeah. think would would be less uh contentious yeah. and more inclusive
1: well what I can would that tell look you, like to you i can tell you what what it looks like at my church where i'm now okay. the co-pastor so and I want to say that you know these ideas are not particularly new. There has been a long and faithful heritage of liberal Christianity, mainline Christianity, that has not like. A lot of times we we hear the word Christian and we immediately go to evangelical Christianity, which is a relatively new you know type of Christianity as far as when you look at the thousands of years of, of church history, um, and evangelicalism tends to believe that they are the only quote unquote real Christians. And so, th- and they take a lot of space on the airwaves. And so, you know, we hear evangelical Christianity and we think that's the only Christianity, but, but, but it's not. And, and for generations, you know there has been this liberal Christian tradition that I'm happily joining now like on the other side of evangelicalism. Um, but like at my church, when we teach from the Bible which we do, we are careful to say like right up front this is how we view it. We totally could be wrong. You got to kind of figure this stuff out for yourself. So we, first of all, don't claim to have any particular authority as pastors. You know, I'm not coming in there saying, this is what it means. This is what you need to do, period. Uh, when Tony, my co-pastor, and I teach, it's it's very much we always say this is what this is how we view it today. We totally could change. We could be wrong. We just are offering it to you as a as a possible way of viewing these scriptures and applying them to your lives. So that's different, right? And then the way we look at scripture itself is different. I used to believe as an evangelical and as a fundamentalist, especially that the scriptures were kind of like handed down by God from on high as a, as a perfect thing. And we even have a doctrine called inerrancy that says that in the original languages, the scriptures are 100% without error, the word of God. And so when they speak to science, when they speak to history, when they speak to whatever, they are absolutely infallible and, and unable to be in error. And I used to believe that. These days I'm like, oh my gosh, I mean, it's so clearly not true. Just like, obviously the scripture is riddled with inaccuracies and contradictions. And and it's kind of like in evangelicalism, if you get to that point of going like, oh my gosh, what do I do with these incons- inconsistencies in the Bible? They're kind of like, well, goodbye, you can't be a Christian, <laughs> you know? And I have come to believe, thank God, that I can look at the scriptures as this like deeply human, book or it's not a book it's a library of books there's 66 books in here and they're made of poetry and history and and uh and and apocalyptic literature and letters and poetry all these different genres written by many different people over thousands of years love songs love songs, yes, sexual stuff. I mean, my goodness, the Song of Solomon, don't let anyone tell you that that's a metaphor. That is a sex story (laughs) between unmarried people having good sex and talking about it. And, you know, so it's like, I have come to see the Bible as this deeply human book, where people are doing their very best to describe their experiences with what they think is God, right? Mm -hmm. And I think they get it wrong sometimes. I think they're deeply impacted by their cultures, by their times, you know? So I, I don't look anymore, I can't say like, I think it was Rachel Held Evans, one of these wonderful writers who was so influential in my life. And she talks about how evangelicals use the Bible as the end of the conversation, right? We're talking about, let's say gay marriage or whatever social thing, blah, 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 blah. And they'll be like, Well, Romans chapter one, boom, and they intend to stop the conversation with their proof text with the Bible, right? I look at the Bible as the beginning of the conversation. Let's enter into, let's read this story and then let's think about how does that story influence my life in 2021? How can, you know? And so it's it's just a very different way of looking at the Bible as this deeply flawed, deeply human document. But for some reason it's had this incredible influence over culture and civilization for thousands of years. So let's let's like give it the respect that it deserves. Let's acknowledge its power, but let's not make it something that it was never intended to be, this like divine rule book with all the answers. You know, when I was yeah. a kid, there was this like, I remember a, a like a bulletin insert. And it was like, when you're feeling sad, read, you know, Philippians four, when you're feeling this, do this. If you're having sexual temptation, read this, you know? And it was like, literally supposed to be this like answer key when you're feeling, <laughs> I don't know, you know, what would, it would have been like, if you have feelings of um gender dysphoria, read Genesis one, <laughs> you know I mean? Just, it's ridiculous, but, but those kinds of things, that's the way I used to view the Bible. So I think, I think a better Christianity, I hope, I believe is to believe that that this scripture can can certainly be powerful and can influence our lives and can be applied to all kinds of different things. But, but it's just like another part of the conversation that we're all having about God and about truth and about reality and about the universe and about justice. And yeah, and as far as like literal things, that's always hard. People are like, well, do you believe in literal miracles? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? <sighs> It's hard sometimes, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. and I've come to the place where my faith, my Christianity is no longer dependent on absolute certainty, right? Yeah. I've gotten to this place where I go, you know, the opposite of of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. You know, I I am not certain about hardly anything. I don't know that anybody can know what is actually true about reality, given our limited perspectives, but the the way I describe it is that I have been a part of this Christian tradition my whole life. I have personally found hope and strength and community and encouragement. And 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 I don't want to leave it. It's beautiful to me. And I like to invite people onto this path if they're interested and if that sounds right. good to them, right? I'm not like I don't think you're going to hell if you're not a Christian. I, I don't even believe in that concept anymore. But I do believe that this particular spiritual tradition has enriched my life and I don't want to walk away from it. It's it, I think it can be redeemed. I really do. <laughs> I hope it can so far so good, you know, even though I continue to have doubts and frustrations and fears and get frustrated with people, I, I continue to think, you know, it's working. It's working for me right now. And maybe it right. can work for other people too.
0: Yeah, I agree for me, the opposite of faith is fear. Mm. and uh that's for me that, then that and, and that to me is you were talking about you know the people who are using the bible to end the conversation because they don't want a conversation they want no. surety in their lives absolutely they they don't want to think about things they want to they, they they want to be sure of things and they want to make sure that they are on the right side yeah that seems and to I, me w- what they're doing
1: I, so, yeah and i like i i <laughs> At the risk of, of being too kind to, to harmful people, I, I still think that I think we all can relate to that desire for certainty, you know, I, I mean, it feels good to think you have found the answer to something, it feels secure, and I know that we all in one way or another are looking for and longing for security. And so when somebody enters into a system that promises them security, that promises them like clear answers, I I understand the attraction, the lure of that, I really do. Um, So again, it doesn't excuse um, hateful behavior. It doesn't excuse discrimination, et cetera, et cetera. I don't wanna give them that cover, but I also understand their need and desire for certainty and security. And so it makes sense to me that people find that. And I often say, I don't know, this will probably resonate with you. It's interesting, when I think about some of the people who are deeply evangelical and who, who that, that works, it, it's oftentimes, not always, oftentimes, white, wealthy, um, straight, mm-hmm. privileged people. It seems to work for them. They, and, oh, gosh, and I, I think, wonder why. I know, right? It, I, I, that's why I've said, like I said on Twitter once, like uh, the uh, minority experiences, uh, like evangelical often, evangelicalism often doesn't work for us. We we come to a point where it's like, that doesn't work. It doesn't work for us. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes our, our more pri- privileged counterparts in the world, they never run into that. That's all I'm saying. Like they 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 can go along happily in their version of Christianity and never... Have that uh, that 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 point where they go, oh, this doesn't work for me anymore. Because right. it does work for them; it totally works for them, and feels good, and and they're they have yeah. their place, and it's it's working well. But yes, when good- it was
0: it was designed for them, that's why yes. they they designed the system for themselves. Yeah. Today, there was some conservative Christian guy going, I don't understand why people are all upset about conservative Christian patriots. They never do a hateful thing in their lives, and from his perspective, he doesn't see that because he's right. never said. Uh wasn't it was in the Rachel Held Evans who came out in, in support of LGBTQ people and then said something like I I I never knew the level of hate mm. of, of the of the of, the, of the, 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 the people I thought were my friends. Right. Yeah. So yeah it,
1: it, it's, it, it totally makes sense, right? They, they don't they right. don't ever encounter that. And so they're like, hmm, what's wrong with this? It works for me.
0: It should work for it's, everybody if it works yeah. for me. Yep. It yeah. is really, really it's it's sad. i I, I think surety is um is overrated Mm -hmm. i i I like um i I think i think the best like like they say you know the best work happens outside the comfort zone Mm -hmm. and when you're sure you're not doing any work at all right and so yeah
1: i think i think christianity at its best is like a mystical experiential uh religion one one that like actually um Actually, yeah, it's it's best in, in experience, you know. I don't know how to say it. Exactly. It's like, and and those experiences are subjective. They are individual, you know, and and they are not like following a particular pattern or whatever. It's it's like, yeah, and, and and it's kind of the gray area, right? It's not black and white. It's not cut and dried. It's like, it's it's mysterious. It's it's complex, and and it's maybe challenging right and fascinating it's and
0: beautiful yes yes all of those things it is and it's what it is a wonderful thing to feel have you did you have your parents seen you uh lead worship since you've since you've come out
1: i don't have know i don't uh, know i've done it a lot and it's all over the internet but but i don't know if they've ever but
0: they've never been they've seen you in person
1: doing no this. no uh-uh. mm. no and i think you know, I'm not going to speak for them, but I, I think they probably wouldn't, you know, they, they kind of don't want to allow that in.
0: You know? Yeah. I understand that entirely. Yeah. And yeah, best of, best, best to them. You're, you're a singer. You've done a lot of singing and we talked True. about, about the, yeah, we you did a little bit of Manhattan transfers before we got here.
1: Peripatetic uh, is the only word that I have ever heard that people could use that really describes him. There's no other word could do that. Only other word I know that comes close to it is gypsy. And that'll really fit him at all because he ain't telling fortunes and hates being gypsy. Oh, it's called Rambo. I was, I knew I'd get to it. Everywhere they go, they call him Rambo because he won't stay long. Sorry. I, oh, I was, was going to ask you to say something, but now I don't have to. <laughs> I am a ham, let's face it. Oh, you, you I love know, your voice. Open I the do. door and I will walk through.
0: <laughs> I know, I, I'm, I'm the same way with talking. I you don't know if you know it about yeah. me, but if someone said, Penny, we need you to speak for 45 minutes, I'll say, sure, is there a topic? Um,
1: <laughs> I hear you.
0: Because I, I will go. Yeah. I, I, yep. I, 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 I am vocally peripatetic. <laughs> yes. By the way, peripatetic means well-traveled. Uh, we talked about this, Originally, you know, originally meant a follower of Aristotle. Mm-hmm. so that is so now you guys pays to enrich your word power, word power and now you've oh got
1: God. that that was Reader's Digest wasn't it yes it was I loved that when I was a kid I loved that it. was Absolutely. one of my favorite things re- oh I would take that test every month yes
0: I did mm-hmm. I loved it I love doing that I've always I've always loved words I've, well, lo- I've uh, loved putting them together
1: oh I love words too so fun my dad actually submitted a story to Humor in Uniform and got published. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> a little Nightingale trivia.
0: That's pretty cool. What was the story? Do you
1: remember? I do. It, it was a good one. Uh, he said during basic training, he was in the Air Force in the late 60s. Um, he was in line. I don't remember exactly how he tells the story because that's important, but he was in line next to a, a fellow soldier and uh, the, the drill sergeant was having them go and say their last names, you know, right in a row, say their last names. And the person who was to his left and who was right before him, unfortunately his last name was Florence. And so oh he said, my Florence. God. And my dad said, Nightingale. <laughs> and I, guess, I guess the guy was not having it. He was up in his face. What are you doing? You know, like you don't ever. And he was like, it's really my name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So that was That's the, great. that was the that, joke. That, that, that was that was very humorous. It
0: was very much in uniform. That was really good. Yeah. I I'm also I was also published. I was published. Really? Not in Reader's Digest. I did send it to Reader's Digest, but it didn't make it for that. It was in some, I don't remember what publication it was. It might have been like something Methodist or, uh, but I, I wrote a limerick when I was in, I think, third grade, which was <clears throat> there once was a man named Wood whose limericks were really quite good. But he had just one flaw, which everyone saw. He tried to put as many words in the last line of the poem to make the rest of the poem make sense as he possibly could.
1: <laughs>
0: and that was it. And that was, oh, when you're in when you're in first grade, that is prime comedy
1: shit. That's, I know tell you. That's incredible. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it may not have been first. It was like it was it was certainly something at Hugh Gregg school and that I that I did that for. Him. But it was it was great.
1: Very so impressive.
0: Thank you. I, I am a very impressive human being, and so are you. I have just—I and have no idea how long we've been talking. Are you I trying to keep these things for an hour? And we have been talking
1: for one hour and nine minutes. Have we really? I know it's going just, way too fast. Like I feel like you and I could talk for. Another several hours. I would love to
0: do that. I would love to have you back, maybe with Amy, so that Amy can keep us like I'm in line and actually keep a conversation.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. I can't even think of what we have talked about. We've just been kind of all over the map, which is well, I do I do know it was like
0: I was like 45 minutes before I got to the first question that I wanted to ask you. (laughs) So
1: that's that's okay
0: like I said, like I said at the beginning, I knew it was gonna go all over the place and we did. Um, Matt Nightingale, thank you so much for being on Transformation Thursday. I really I want to come out to I wanna I want to worship at your church.
1: I would love to have you anytime.
0: Well, I, I actually do have a sermon. So if there's if I ever get out there, if you ever want to have take a day off, I will be happy to, to to give one.
1: That sounds really fun. Let's do it.
0: It sounds have like you, a plan. have you
1: been to the Bay Area? Have you been to San Francisco?
0: The last time I was in San Francisco was 1971. Uh, so I think, I, I, I'm guessing that it's changed since then.
1: A little bit, yeah.
0: So yeah. Here's, here's, here's my Bay Area, so my, my San Francisco story from 1971. Okay. Um, and this is how dense of a human being that I was. Uh, and what a bad boy I was. And not like bad boys and not bad, it's like bad at being a boy. This was, this was the era of the bra burning. and so women were burning their bras and so you could tell who the braless women were and and my and so we were in san francisco and my dad would be like oh there's one pointing over there and my brother oh yeah there's one they they'd be looking at them and i'm like what are you looking at (laughs) so i started lying about seeing braless women because i had no idea what i was looking for (laughs) there's one over there no that's a frog son um (laughs) i don't know but that was that so it's, yeah i would love to get back there i would love to come there. maybe if i can find some 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 place to do a show and then like swing up to to north san francisco and and, and go to your church i would love That'd to do be that. so
1: fun yeah i yeah we got to find a way for you to do your show out here
0: let's make that happen I'll, i may need a place to stay so um i got but- you you're the best. Matt and deal, thank you very much for being on transformation Thursday with us. Uh, I don't know when Amy's going to be back, but I'm going to do my traditional wrap up now. I always say good night to Amy. She's, she always says good night to me. Um, she's listening. So do you want to say good night to Amy, Matt? Good night, Amy. Good night, Amy. And good night, Matt. We'll talk to you soon.